Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I've recently been preaching about the power of prayer and that prayer works. Prayer works. And so often uh, we hear people say, oh, well, all we can do now is pray. And so it's the last resort. When in fact, it is the most wonderful thing we can do. Because he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Hallelujah. What an astonishing privilege and a promise. And what a power we have as those that have been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to be able to pray. Well, uh, as I've been enjoying uh, this series about prayer, I had a bit of a difficult day the other day. And I was just found myself getting discouraged There was somebody I was particularly praying for. I'd been praying for for so long for salvation. And, uh, you know, I had an interaction with them and that just made me realize, oh, they're so not there yet. God, oh God, oh God. And at the end of the day, my shoulders were a little slumped over because I was thinking about it. On top of everything else. Oh God, when? Oh God. And um, Emily, my daughter saw me and she said, what's wrong? And I told her. And she said, haven't you been preaching about prayer works lately? She said, pray. You know, I said, I have prayed. I've been praying a long time. She says, you know better than that. (laughs) I went, yes, I do. You know, you know that prayer works. You know that God's at work. And I was so grateful. I was so grateful for children who will preach my sermons back to me. Hallelujah. Do everything with that. <laughs> Complaining or arguing. And I've been on a, a little personal journey myself over these last little over this last little while of my I've had such a hunger to discover more about our Jesus. I, I watched uh, the, the Passion, the movie again. I've watched it many times. And whether you like it or you don't like it, don't tell me. I, I appreciated being reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. I cried again and I worshipped again. And, and I've been watching the, the Chosen series uh, again. <laughs> Uh, I have a, a limited number of things that I, I like to watch. but And I've been studying in the scripture because I'm so struck at the moment with the life of Jesus. Uh, I mean, everything about him is so wonderful. But I've been watching particularly and thinking and reading about how he never sinned, not once in any way. He never sinned. Not once did he sin with his words. Never once did he say something he had to apologize for. Never once did he make a sarcastic comment or a joke about somebody that was always giving them a hard time. He never once sinned with his words. I think it's amazing. 
It's not a story, it's a real truth. And he demonstrates for us the power to actually live like him. And so I've been on this pursuit to discover him and just studying the life of Jesus has just been such a delight. I often read the, the Gospels with a particular um, desire to see something. Sometimes I'll read through the Gospels with a desire to really study the miracles of Jesus, or sometimes I'll read through the, the Gospels with a desire to study the prayer life of Jesus, or, um, or, or different aspects. But at the moment, I'm studying uh, just the interactions Jesus had with people and the wisdom that he had relationally. It's made me cry out, Lord, give me wisdom. He always said the right thing in such a way that would cause their hearts to open up. He always had the right word for the right person at the right time. And that means that is available for us. That sort of wisdom is available for us. The spirit of wisdom himself offers to teach us and to lead us and to fill our mouths every day with that sort of wisdom. Well, anyway, for me, that's an exciting thought because I could really use some more of that in my life. Hallelujah. But as I've also been studying um, the life of Jesus, it, of course, makes me provoked to more worship. The more, I, the more I discover about him, the more I'm provoked to want to worship him spontaneously because he's so good. He's so good. Remember the line from the, the Chosen series at, uh, and someone asked Mary, the mother of Jesus, how's Jesus? And she says, oh, he's good. He's always good. I thought, yep, <laughs> that's so true. But uh, as I've been looking at the life of Jesus, we get, we get a lot of wonderful information in the Bible about Jesus' life, a lot of description, uh, though the Bible could never and no book could ever detail all the goodness of Jesus, all the miracles, all the, the words that he spoke, all the things that he suffered, no one could fully know. And, um, but we get a lot of information, a lot of description about particularly the events leading up to his crucifixion. There's great detail about the whole week uh, from Palm Sunday through to the Passover. Uh, we, we get a lot of different accounts, a lot of detail. So we can know quite a lot about the events leading up to the torture and murder of Jesus Christ on that horrible cross uh, where he voluntarily, willingly suffered so that you and I could be united with him. We could be redeemed. Hallelujah. And then there's a great deal of information and specific detail about the resurrection of Jesus. We see it. We, know, we see, hear about the, the stone being rolled away, about the angels and what they said, about the, the people who saw him first and the disciples and the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and the appearances of Jesus. And we get lots and lots of information throughout the four different gospels about the resurrection of Jesus. As I was having my little sorry for me moment, my little sad moment, I thought about, you know, there's not a lot of information about what happened between the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I went to try and study it and there's really only very few verses that give us a glimpse into what went on 
Let me just, have you ever wondered about that? Let's just start and have a little look in Luke chapter 23, verse 50. Well, actually, we can skip through. It's, we read about Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man that uh, gave his tomb for Jesus' body to be laid in. Praise the Lord. It was only needed for a couple of days, for a few days. And, um, and they laid his body in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. That day was a preparation and the Sabbath drew near. 55, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So what we know about the Saturday, the day in between Jesus' burial and resurrection, as far as the disciples were were concerned, they were on Shabbat. They were resting. And I imagine they were probably pretty anxious. They were probably fearful. They were probably discouraged. They were probably terribly disheartened. They were probably terribly traumatized, having seen the one they love so unjustly tortured and murdered and the confusion and the despair and the discouragement. And it must have been a really difficult time. But during that time, when they couldn't see what was going on and they didn't understand and they were discouraged and disappointed and, and in, in a world of pain, Jesus was working. Something was happening. We get a little glimpse it tells us in um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 9. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. So we know that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. First Peter chapter four gives us another little glimpse. It says, um, verse six, interesting little verse. It says, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to, the men of, in the, uh, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So how do you preach to the dead? Well, Jesus, having died, he was busy. He was working. And it's fascinating because we read about the results of this work that he was doing in Matthew chapter 27, verse 52. It says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Not quite sure how that works. Actually don't know what happened to them afterwards. Did they like continue to live and then die again and then get buried again? Or did they disappear when Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. Fascinating though. So who were these people that he was preaching to when he was in the tomb, when he had died? 
Well, we read another very unusual story in Luke chapter 16 about a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. Verse 20, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, not to be confused with the other Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, um, desiring to be fed and the crumbs which fell with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the, his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus received evil things, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. Besides all this, between you and us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, for if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one who rises from the dead. And I think from my limited understanding of, from the limited information that we have, that prior to Jesus' resurrection, there was a place called Abraham's bosom and there was Hades and there was a big separation. And my assumption is that Jesus, when he died, went to Abraham's bosom and preached to all those who died in faith, awaiting the Messiah, and told them, hey, it's done. Let's go. Come with me. Let's go. We're going to go up into uh, heaven with the Father. And uh, on his way, I think some of them also popped out of the grave while Jesus was having his time walking around on the earth before he ascended, and they did too. So who knows what was going on there? Would have been very interesting. But in all of this, I look at it, and we know so little about what actually went on, but we do know that he took the keys of death and hell. Hallelujah. He conquered death. Hallelujah. And that he made a way for all who would put their faith in him to never have to be uh, separated from him ever again. Hallelujah. You see, prior to Jesus' death, even those who died in faith weren't able to be close to the Father because light can have no fellowship with darkness and nobody had the power to get rid of their darkness. But Jesus and those who had have faith in him, he comes and he takes away all our darkness. He takes away all our sin. He takes away all our transgression, all our iniquity. Hallelujah. 
But as I was thinking about this, and you might think, oh, this is a very random thing to be talking about. All this that is so mysterious about what went on between the death and the resurrection reminds me of on those days when I can't see or understand what's going on or when I'm having a difficult time where I'm just feeling like, oh God, I don't understand. I can have confidence that Jesus is working, that Jesus is moving even when I can't see it. I remember going to pray for James Graham when he was diagnosed with um, end-stage cancer. It was stage 5B. Uh, he'd had the operation to remove the bowel tumour in his bowel, but the bowel wasn't working again. It just nine days later, it still wasn't working. He had secondary tumours in the lungs, cancer in the lymph nodes. And the doctors just said, look, you better call someone because we don't think he's got very long to live. And so I cancelled an appointment, went up to the hospital, looked at him and said, James, you look terrible. Let's take a photo. This is going to preach really well. But he was so sick, we, could, we couldn't even stay very long. But we did take a photo and we did celebrate and we did worship and we did thank God. We praised God for his healing. We thanked God because he was in faith for healing and we believed, thank you Jesus for his healing and we left. But we didn't see any change when we prayed. But we celebrated, thank you God, you've heard us. Whatever we ask in your name, you're gonna do. The next night, while his wife Rochelle's at home, while I'm at home and we're all hoping and believing and praying for his healing, James had an encounter with God. For seven hours, the Lord just was speaking to him and he woke up at 7 a.m. completely healed, utterly healed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We don't understand sometimes why it's taken so long, what's going on. But I'm telling you, if you will hope in Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that Jesus is working even when you can't see it. I remember the same thing when little Gabriella, Nathaniel and Haley's firstborn, uh, they were our next door neighbours and I got the call when um, Haley had had the baby early in the morning and I was so excited. I was going to go and see them later that night. I had a conference that day and I grabbed Sarah Cheeseman and um, she was my intern at the time and we jumped in the car and I went off to go and preach at, our first, um, at my first charismatic Catholic event. And women had come from all over the state for this event. And as I was driving, it was about an hour and a half away, um, I got a phone call from the hospital saying, uh, Nathaniel and Haley have asked if you could come. Something's happened. The baby's had a heart attack. We don't think she's going to survive. Could you come? And so we were nearly at the event. So I, I arrived and the priest and a whole bunch of people were there to meet me and I said, hi, I can't stay. This is Sarah. I don't think Sarah had ever preached in a conference before. I, I said, Sarah's going to take the first session for you. I have to go to the hospital. I'd be grateful if you could all pray. I have to go and pray for a baby. And they were so good about it. Praise the Lord. And Sarah 
she preached up a storm. Hallelujah. This happens a little bit sometimes when people are traveling with me. They get thrown in the deep end. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But so I just went to the hospital straight away. I, I got there and the nurses were waiting at the, at the door for me. And they said, are, are, you, the, are you the pastor? Yes. Oh, we don't think they understand. They just don't seem to understand. You, you need to help them understand. And I looked at them and I thought, you've got the wrong person here. We walked in and the baby's all hooked up to machines, gray, just really um, not looking good. And I said, let's take a picture. This is going to preach really well. So Nathaniel started recording and I said, and get Haley expressing milk because this baby's going to feed. And um, and we prayed and we worshipped and we celebrated and we thanked God. And then they medivaced her to the um, uh, children's hospital here in Brisbane. And she was born in Redlands and so they medivaced her there. And then the next day, Emily and I went into the hospital. We prayed. We saw the oxygen levels go up just a little bit. But we didn't see significant uh, change, but we kept praying, kept believing. God, we know it's your will that she would live and not die, that she would prosper and be in health even as her soul prospers. It's your will, Lord God. You came to bring life and life more abundant. We thank you for your healing. And we'd pray. Only, she was in intensive care, so we could only two at a time could go in. And I remember Nathaniel pulling me aside and saying, look, I haven't told Haley, but the doctors just told me that they think baby's brain dead and I'm not having it in the name of Jesus. And we agreed, no, in the name of Jesus, by his stripes, she's healed. And they basically, not brain dead, um, so badly brain damaged that even if she did survive, that she would be a vegetable, is what they were saying. And so we agreed, no, she can be fine. In the name of Jesus, she can be healed. We were all praying as a church. You know, it must have felt a little bit like that Saturday for them. But when we couldn't see it, Jesus was working. The next day, Haley and Nathaniel were sitting by the bed and she was still expressing in faith, preparing for this baby. And um, they were reading scripture to Gabriella. And all of a sudden, while Nathaniel's filming, <laughs> Gabriella opens her eyes and is instantly well, instantly well, feeding, laughing, crying, not laughing, she was only like three days old, feeding, happy, not even a need for a feeding tube, no more oxygen, nothing, well. And you know, as I thought about those things, I thought about my little moment of discouragement. And I thought, thank you, Lord, for Emily. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Prayer works, God. Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that even when we don't understand it, you are always at work. You are the one who is the resurrection and the life. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We just heard another testimony today um, of your mum. 
praying for her, praying for your mum. You prayed for her the next day she called and said, I'm completely healed. Hallelujah. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. You know, I believe that as we look to this one who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, Jesus wants to look at you and to inject hope into your hearts today. My favourite verse in the Bible, I think, if I'm allowed to have a favourite verse, I love it all. One of the ones that resonates so deeply with me is when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler. And, um, and he was not making the right choice. He, he was struggling with, oh, I don't know if I can choose him or choose everything I'm holding on to. And in the midst of it, instead of Jesus looking at him and shaking his head in disappointment, the Bible says he looked at him and loved him. <laughs> and that's the way he always looks at me. Always, always. When he should be, in my opinion, looking at me and shaking his head with, I can't believe you, I can't, I'm so annoyed with you, can't believe you did it again. Can't believe you're like that. He never, ever, never once. In all my 28 years of following Jesus, he's never once looked at me and not loved me. And you know, that one who looks at you and loves you wants to encourage you today. That if you're in a Saturday moment, if you're in a situation where you haven't seen the fulfillment of what you've been praying for, the Father wants you to know, oh, He's working. And that Sunday is coming. That there is a resurrection, there is a hope and there is a glory beyond what you have expected if you will believe. The Bible says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. To him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations. Sometimes when we study the life of Jesus, we can think, well, it was because he was the Messiah. That's why he could do all this stuff. But really study it. Look at it. And you'll discover that though he was fully God and fully man, he laid aside that privilege and he lived as a man so that you and I would know what was possible. He lived as a man utterly dependent on the Father, dependent on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit never let him down. At every moment, he gave him wisdom. He looked to the Father for wisdom in every situation. And in every situation, the Father gave him what he needed. And just as he was able to live this life of holiness and purity, all who will put their trust in him receive that same life. That if we come to him and we repent and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I need your forgiveness. If we will put our faith in him. My heart breaks to read that story about the rich man and Lazarus. And 
And Abraham saying to him, look, even if someone were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. You know, there are some who would harden their hearts. And no matter what was proved or done in front of them, I mean, you think of those that walked with Jesus, who saw the miracles, still cried out, crucify him. But if you will put your faith in him as the son of God. The Bible says he will come in, he will make his home with you. And this day, you will be born again. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. If we will put our faith in him, we will be among those who will live forever with him in eternity, in paradise, in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's not just believing in the existence of Jesus as a historical figure or even as the Son of God. The devil now knows that and... He's not saved. Scripture says the devil knows and he trembles. So it's not even enough to believe that he is. But when the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus, it's saying if you will believe that he is saviour for you and you will put your faith in his ability to save you, you will acknowledge that you need salvation. In just saying, Lord, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died and rose again, and that, that you are willing to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness as I confess my sin and repent. I believe you'll give me new life and your righteousness. If we'll do that, the Bible says he will come in and he will make you a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, he makes all things new. He gives you a new heart. His spirit comes and lives on the inside of you. And there is a baptism from on high that will empower you to be a witness that would manifest the life of Jesus in your everyday walk. It's the good news of the gospel. But, but knowing that, having that, if we will put our faith in him, Jesus gets what he went to the cross for. The Bible says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. If you're here today and you know in your heart you're not walking with the Lord Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the mercy of Jesus. To say, I, I recognize I need salvation. You see, just in recognizing you need salvation is enough to real, is, is because you're saying, if, you, if you're saying I need salvation, you're acknowledging that you have sin in your life and without forgiveness and salvation, you cannot inherit eternal life. And if you'll acknowledge your sin and say, Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. I receive your mercy, your forgiveness. Come into my life. Make me new on the inside. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be like those who received him that we read about in Scripture. And you will spend eternity with him. 
If that's you today and you say, I want to get my life right with Christ today. I want to give my life to him. I want to be saved. I'd love you just to wave your hand at me. I'd, I'd like to pray for you today. Is there anyone here that says, yes, that's me? Today, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If that's you, just let me see your hand today. Or if you're watching online, just if you can write that in the comments. We want to make sure we've got some people praying for you. Hallelujah. Well, we have communion that you have received as you've walked in. And we're, um, we're going to take this together because of our masking situation. We're not going to do communion groups, but we are going to pray for each other. Hallelujah, as the Lord leads. Thank you. You know, this bread and this cup, it's, it's done in a tiny cup like this for convenience. It doesn't have to be a tiny cup. If you're thinking that when Jesus had communion, he had a tiny cup and a tiny wafer, I don't think that's the way it happened. But when we take this together, we're doing this in remembrance of what he's done. This magnificent Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who willingly laid down his life. He said... Greater love has no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for you. He didn't just, he didn't just go to the cross, though that would have been awful enough, horrific. But he was horribly tortured and marred before he even got to the cross. He suffered and he died so that we could have life and life more abundant, so that we could have hope, we could have forgiveness, and that we could have confidence to live like him by his spirit, just as he lived. He wants his spirit to come upon you. He wants his spirit to overwhelm you. He wants you to have confidence that when he gave his body for you, when it was whipped and beaten and broken, it was done so that you could have peace. Peace is something I think we, we sometimes fail to apprehend by faith. It's a powerful, powerful thing to be able to walk in peace when the world is in turmoil around you. To apprehend peace by faith. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. You might think you've been through too much, too much trauma. You're a victim and there's just been so much that it couldn't possibly. Like I, I remember being in a place where I thought, I mean, people would say, when I was a young woman, because of what you've been through, you need to go to a psychologist and you've got to get through this. And I mean, I, I, my daughter's studying counselling. I think psychology counselling is a wonderful thing. But my thoughts were like, there is so much to undo that I just don't even know if I've got the strength to even start going there. If you start pulling on that string, it's like, Bleh. and I went to Jesus and I said, help I still get prayer ministry. I still, I still 
uh, have people minister to me, counsel me, pray for me. I believe it's a powerful thing. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. But Jesus did for me what nobody could have done. He healed my heart. He undid all the trauma. He undid all the knots. And instead of being a victim, he made me one who was beautiful and clean and filled with the dignity of Jesus. He'll do that for you too. As we eat together, I want you to put your faith in the one that wants to give you peace from your torment, from your trauma, from your fears, from your worries. I want you to cast it on him. Cast it on him. Cast your cares on him. Seek the Lord. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Throw it on him. Put it on him right now. I just hold it in front of you and I want you to put it on him. I give you all the trauma, all the fears, all the worries. I'm not going to buy the lie that those things are a hindrance to me anymore. We heard the prophetic word that the stone has been rolled away. There is no hindrance for you to have intimacy with him anymore. There is nothing that can keep you bound or entangled. You are no longer a slave to what has happened to you. You are no longer a slave to fear. You are no longer a slave to the traumas and the things you've been through. Throw it on him. Today's the day. Let it go. Put it on him. It's time. It's yours. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to circumstances. I'm no longer a slave to torment. I'm no longer a slave to trauma. Hooray. I'm no longer a slave to regret. I'm no longer defined by what I did in the past. I am the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Put it in your mouth. I'm redeemed. That means I am forgiven. I am not handicapped by my past. I'm not a victim. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let's eat together in thanks. He took the cup, the cup of the new covenant in his blood. And this blood washes us clean from every word we've said that we shouldn't have said. Everything we've done that we shouldn't have done. Everything we've done that doesn't measure up to the the sinless one who never sinned with his words, never sinned with his actions, never sinned with anything. He was perfect. And his perfection, his righteousness, he says, I'll give it to you if you will put your faith in me. If you'll give me your imperfection, I'll give you my perfection. If you'll give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. Hallelujah. I will give you power to walk like me. If you sin, then if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you were saved 20 years ago and you've made mistakes since, don't think it's over for you. If you'll come to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. His mercy is new today for you. It's as new today as it was the first day. His mercies are new every morning. 
Give him your sin, he'll give you his righteousness. Give him your, your burden, give him your guilt, he'll give you his, his freedom, his joy, his peace. Freedom from sin. I've been praying, Lord, have mercy on me. Give me eyesalve to see, to recognize even the cultural and habitual sins that I've been engaging in that I, I haven't fully been aware of because it's been so habitually or culturally ingrained. Because we say things, we complain, we, we do stuff that just is not holy, just not what Jesus would do. Lord, give me myself, help me recognize it so that I can repent and receive your peace. He's already forgiven it. But as I acknowledge it, I no longer carry the guilt that I can't understand. I no longer carry the shame. I no longer carry the conscience that's going off like an alarm because I get peace knowing, oh, thank God, I recognize that's wrong and I turn from that and I thank you for power to live differently. What's it gonna be like? What would it be like to live a whole life from here on, never again sinning with your words, not once? Never once hurting or wounding someone with your words. What would it be like? It's possible because of the blood of Jesus. Let's drink together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we say thank you. Lord, we ask too, Lord, that you would give us wisdom. The wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. Lord, to relationally love people well to relate to people in a way that would manifest your love every single time. God, give us the love of Jesus shed abroad in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Let us walk like him, talk like him, think like him, manifest him in everything we say and do. Give us wisdom. Thank you, Lord, for your great mercy. Thank you for your resurrection power, Jesus. Thank you, Father. You know, right now, I just really believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch and wants to encourage hearts. If you've been in one of those moments where you felt like you're in a bit of a Saturday place, where you're feeling like so discouraged or, or confused, sad because you haven't yet seen the fulfillment. The Holy Spirit wants to touch your heart. He wants to put his hand on your heart right now and minister healing to you and hope that you would hope again, that those dry bones would live. The promises you've had on the inside that you've thought, oh God, it looks all dead. Holy Spirit's here to give it life again. Thank you, Lord, for supernatural life. Father, for those things that look like they are hopeless and dead and dry. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I speak life. I speak life to those promises in the name of Jesus Christ. I speak life to those ones, to those relationships, Lord God, to those promises, to those things that have long been prayed for. In the name of Jesus, I thank you. Yes, Lord, you have heard our prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for an injection of hope 
Thank you that you're working even when they can't see that you're working. I thank you that you are great and mighty and you are mightily at work. Father, I thank you, Lord, for resurrection power for each one of those hopes and dreams and promises in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Father, for joy, for hope, for hope that will not disappoint. Lord, I thank you that you put your hand on their heart right now and you minister strength to them, that you give them glory, Lord, and you are the glory and the lifter of our head. Lord, bless them. Fill their eyes with the wonder of your eyes, looking back at them and loving them. In the name of Jesus, let them feel it. Let them know it. My Redeemer lives. He is for me. He is not against me. He is with me. My God, He will accomplish what He has uh, begun in me. He who has purposed it will also do it. His Word will not return to Him void, but it will accomplish what it's sent forth to do. I declare He is the Saviour. He is the one who will do what He has promised and that He is at work even when I can't see it. And the fulfilment of His promise that He He is doing it for He is well able. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at infoglorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.